o'clock. What time does the seven o'clock meeting start? Seven All right, very good. Well, welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome everybody online. Anybody in the room here for the first time tonight? Good deal. First of all, welcome. A few of you. And then let us warn you in advance, you're liable to perceive us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? The process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So what we do, same thing every week, is I attempt to show you how I find my experience in the book, because the book is a book of experience. And I'll encourage you to have your experience with it. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness that that happens? So for those of you online, you can't see them, but they're raising their hand. In 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're speaking of a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know and I'll call it to your attention. Because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of that power. Fair enough? So tonight we're going to be looking at steps 8 and 9. Uh-oh, I heard it. Okay, you guys... So you know, steps eight and nine, we're, we're now getting into the freedom steps. We're getting into the fitness steps. So how many of you want to be fit? Uh, get more hands. How many of you want to be free? Okay, more hands. So let's not call it step nine. Let's call it the freedom step so everybody can join in, right? All right, so we're going to... We're going to go in our book to page 76. Oh, you know what? One more piece of business. Those of you who are members, new, maybe no one's explained it to you, but at this group and at the Saturday Night Recovery Church, you are welcome to bring your family. They can get in chap when it's 6.15, 6.15 Saturday, and chap starts the worship at 7 promptly, and he tries to finish about 8.00 ish, depending on, you know, who comes up to be saved, blessed, or otherwise, and whether or not he gets off on a tangent. And, uh, and then also, you know, you guys bring your family here if you want to, come in at 615, hang out. We want the families to see what you're doing to get yourself ready to come home to them and get ready for life, yeah? All right, so we're on page 76 of our book. And we're in the middle of the page. It says, now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Do any of you recognize that phrase from another book? Okay, it's not by accident that you find it there. They studied the book of James extensively in the creation of the original fellowship. In fact, one of the names they contemplated was the James Club, as opposed to Alcoholics Anonymous, just so you know. Faith without works is dead. They weren't trying to get us all to go biblical. They were trying to point out to the original 100, half of which were atheists or agnostics, that the nature of our delusion, of our disease of addiction, is that we are doubters. And so they learned that we had to prove this power to us through us. So that's going to require not only faith, but acting in that faith works. Does that make sense? And the other benefit of, of works, of me learning that the power flows through me, but it's not of me, proving the power to me through me, the other benefit of that is works are observable. So people seeing the restoration we experience say, Joe, you are a real shit show. What happened? And then I can honor my third step. Well, I got God. He sees to it I'm less of a shit show. Make sense? Okay. So it says, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. When did we get such a list? Any of you do a fourth step inventory? Did you get a list of 
who you harmed, how you harmed them? Okay, so they said we made it when we took inventory. Why do I call that to your attention? Well, there's that. I, w I was shooting another direction, but that's true, too. Um, a lot of times we overlook what they promised us in another chapter. Rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. They laid out their path precisely. Not only what they did, but what they experienced as a result. So first they'll describe a process, and then they'll describe a power taking over. And all of that is that path they thoroughly followed. And if I can find myself here, then I'm right on target. Does it make sense? Okay. So it says, we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. How many of you found your self-appraisal drastic? How many of you contemplating doing it said, fuck, that looks drastic. <laughs> so we expect you, to, it is drastic, we're not denying it, but we've got to get to the truth. Not my truth, not your truth, the truth. Yes? Okay. All right, so now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. This is where you've got to get the author start getting more and more emphatic. Willingness is divine power. If I had the willingness within me to do the right thing, I'd have done it before I burned my life down. So I'm going to have to ask for willingness, and I'm going to reach points. At some of these, I balk, and then I have tools to ask for willingness until it comes, not hoping it to come, it'll come, keep asking and keep moving in what I will do. Does it make sense? Okay. So then it says, remember it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. They put it in italics. With whom did I make that agreement? With the great reality within me. So it would be a good idea to keep it because it would appear that he has kept his. Does that make sense? Okay. So probably there are still some misgivings. So they go right back. See, I don't so much have a drug problem or an alcohol problem anymore, but I do have a doubt problem. And that's many years later. I still have a doubt problem. I don't know if I'm alone in that. So they're going to they're going to conclude with us. There's still some misgivings, even though I know it's a proven process, even though I've done this over and over again, and I know I get relief. Still, I doubt. Yes. Okay. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Any of you ever look over the list of people you've hurt and thought, they're some dangerous fellas. <laughs> Sometimes we had some rather nefarious business partners, yes? Okay. That's true. That's true. Good, good point, especially in our crowd. Thanks, David. Let us, let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So they're letting us know there's going to be more than one approach. Just keep moving. Yeah? So then it tells us why. We might prejudice them. So why would we prejudice them? Because they've seen it all before. They've seen it all before. They don't need to hear it from me. They need to see it from me. And in their time, they'll call my attention to the changed nature. Yeah? Okay. So at the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So we're finding purpose. We're finding a regimen that produces fitness. How many of you have taking it upon yourself to try and get physically fit. Most of us at some time. Did you sometimes have to go exert yourself in ways you found unpleasant? Spiritual fitness is much the same way. You will have to go exert yourself at times in ways that will feel you'll experience as unpleasant, but they will benefit you and the person you serve. Yes? Okay. So it says, it's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. 
Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? They put a question mark because they want us to go inward. Is what I'm about to go declare about the truth? Is it necessary? Do they need to know that I've been out there looking for God, or do they need to know that I'm sorry I took their stereo? And here's some money. Right? Okay. So we may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. How do I demonstrate sincerity? These are the works we're talking about. Show up with a plan and a payment. Yes? Okay. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. Wouldn't you be? Okay. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. They're assuming now you know the experience of God, you know what it feels like to be convicted with that presence, when you know that there's a reason you need to say that uncomfortable thing, and that's when it'll serve a good purpose. Anyone you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I, do I really have to say this? I do have to say this. Oh, I, do I really have to say this? Okay, here we go. Okay, so the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. How many of you got that guy? Only two of you. <laughs> what that means is strongly dislike. How many of you got one now? Another two. <laughs> the rest of you are just princes of peace. Um, okay. All right. So it may be he's done us more harm than we've done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. How many of you can roughly identify that person now? Okay, we got another half dozen. What? Are, we, are we dead? What do we need to do? Calisthenics? Come on. Okay. Nevertheless, with the person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. So that's a metaphor. These guys are big on metaphor. What's it mean? Yeah, we're going to take control of the situation. To Sean's point, it's kind of a Midwestern metaphor. When the horse gets the bit in the teeth, you're going where the horse wants to go. So it's not taking control of people, but we will direct the conversation. We're going to take it where we need it to go, right, as far as they'll allow. All right, so they're going to acknowledge some other things for us. It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. So they tell you of their experience. It's harder to do it, but once they've done it, they find they benefited more from the enemy, right? There's another book that tells you to have no enemies, love your enemies. In other words, have no enemies, right? So we're, we're growing into that nature is our, our goal here, right? Um, and don't get it twisted. There's people who will tell you, go to the toughest one first. Well, that's nonsense. That's not what they said they did. They went to, they went to them exactly the order they laid the book out. They went to the wife, to the family, to the, to the employer, just the way they laid the book out. They got a circle of support, they grew in fitness, and then they went to an enemy and they found out that they got more benefit from that. Does it make sense? And if not, do it however you want to do it. But typically we, we need to grow a little bit before we confront these people that we fear the most. Yeah? Okay, so it says we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. There was instruction there. How would one go to someone in a helpful and forgiving spirit? We would probably have to get centered in the spirit. We'd have to see how we'd like to be approached if the roles were reversed. We'd have to get ready spiritually because this is going to be tough. Yeah? Okay. And then I'm going to confess my former real feeling, which means I knew it, but they didn't. But I don't necessarily tell them, I thought you were a jerk. Because they may not have known that, and that won't be experienced by them as helpful. What I will tell them is I avoided you because whatever, and I realize now that was wrong, right? How many of you were, were users at such a level, like me, that I knew that I was going to make a mess of things if I showed up in people's lives? And so I would just vamoose and leave them thinking that they had offended me. 
But I just knew that there was going to be some offenses that would be committed had I shown up that would have made it impossible for me to return. Therefore, they thought they had done something, but they had done nothing, and I was trying to prevent that from happening, and so the only reason that happened is I was afraid of what I would become. So when I go to admit to them, I ghosted you, and that, you didn't deserve it, I, I let them know that it had nothing to do with them, that it had everything to do with me and my ideations about how I was perceived. Make sense? Okay. Um, under no con condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell them we'll never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. Do you believe that? Because there's no point in saying it if you don't believe it. If you're following a script, it isn't going to work. Because truth has a feel. Right? Okay, so we're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. Notice how they said the same thing many times differently. Do you see a progressiveness in fitness? Do you see uh, how many times you might hose it as you start learning how to make approaches? How many of you have gone to make a nine-step approach and then ended up going back for a second approach to amend the amend you tried to make? Because it happens. Okay. So it says, all those things, it says we stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. Guys, the reason you do a ninth step is that's to get fit enough to do the big amends, which is the twelfth step. So I'm never going to be able to go into that attic scene, into that drunk scene, into the middle of the shit show that is, and never tell them what they should do. Their faults are not discussed. I stick to my own. And witness to what God's done for me who sent them to sent me to them at that moment, and not ever talk about their condition or what they brought them to that place. I'm not going to be fit enough to do that unless I've done this. And I can't help them if they're judged. And who am I to judge when I'm properly armed with the facts about me? Make sense? Okay. So in nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. That's pretty good odds. The man we're calling upon admits his own fault, so feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. How many of you have been mad at somebody for lots of years? And when you went to talk about it, couldn't really remember what you were so damn mad about? I just knew I was damn mad. I mean, you ever have something just go away when you found out you, both of you had a perfectly logical position? Hmm. So rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well, and occasionally they'll offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. So if I go to make this approach and they do not want to hear it, that's their right. Part of my fitness exercise is to accept what they've said with dignity and turn on my heels and go. And any of you have ever had family in addiction and you did harm maybe to some of them? Uh, I myself have been asked to stay away for years at a time and I'm still not very well received with my family, but guess what? I've got a big family. So sometimes God has a bigger purpose than our little small plans and designs. Um, so most alcoholics owe money. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Masters of understatement, these. We do not dodge our creditors. Okay, gets, let's, let's get real. How many of you have done a little time in recovery dodging your creditors? There better be more hands, every damn one of you. Nobody, where's my tweakers? They're everywhere, aren't they? <laughs> Tell them what we're trying to do. We make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. How many of you discovered that little tidbit? 
When I finally admitted my addiction, I finally made it unanimous. Anyone else? Like, oh, thank God, it's just that. I think. No, I'm the only one, huh? Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that it may cause financial harm. So my alcoholism has obviously caused financial harm. My disclosure of it to people who do not need to know about it may cause needless financial harm. So the reality is, if my alcoholism and the actions that, whatever, animated, did cause financial harm, I owe it to them to know I know. So other than that, they don't need to know that alcoholism caused it if it wasn't a direct effect of that, right? They just need to know that I've wronged them. And we just got to get it squared. They're not required to understand alcoholism. Does it make sense? Okay. Um, so it says, approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. Drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. So you guys, have you ever been out there in your sobriety and had a bunch of unpaid bills or had something going on, and now all of a sudden you can't answer the door, can't answer the phone, got the shades, and you're living just like you're in active addiction? Yes? So how far, again, they told us, if you're the real deal, you will not be able to bring to consciousness with sufficient force the memory of suffering, humiliation of even a week or a month ago. You'll be without defense. So if you live in that confined space long enough, you'll go get a release. If you're, if you're anything like me. Does it make sense? Okay. So, oh, this is great for this crowd. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense. How many people in this room got a DOC number? Show of hands. Look at that. Look at that. Perhaps. Allegedly. <laughs> Which might land us in, the, in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We've already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we are sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble too. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. So one of the mistakes we make in early recovery is we compare ourselves to the story and go, I'm not that. I'm, I never got married, so I, I don't have to listen to that. I never, I never had a job, so I don't have to listen to that. I never. And what they're saying is, we all got reparations because none of us get here on a winning streak. So they take innumerable forms and don't compare yourself to the guy next to you. Just compare yourself to the ideal you have for yourself. Does it make sense? Because I guarantee you, all of you have an ideal for yourself where you have let yourself down from that ideal at some point. Compare yourself to that, because although these reparations take innumerable forms, we got general principles we find guiding. And we're going to dig into those. That sound like a useful little tool? Pretty cool, they wrote this shit down, huh? Okay. Reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. So did you know that's what you were doing? What's the goal of 12-step recovery? To awaken spiritually. We would think if all we did was go to meetings is the goal was to remain abstinent. Guess what? I don't do abstinence. Never have. I'm dependent. You know what I did? I went through the 12-step process and became dependent on a superior power. That makes sense? Okay. All right, so we're going to remind ourselves that this is still my quest for spiritual freedom. And then I'm going to say, ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. Guys, that can be tough. That can be tough. I got a buddy that comes here frequently, Jeff. He came right out of 
out of detox. He came straight to his PON meeting, and we used to point him out because any links for him were he chaired the meeting to the day of his sentencing. He went down and did five years. He did AA and talked to people about God behind the walls for five years, and he came back here and started chairing meetings again. And I know there's more of you that have done a lot of that. I'm just, I just know Jeff personally. And we, He's a personal hero to a lot of us that he, he carried it with dignity. Anyway, uh, we may lose our reputation or position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. So now that's positive self-talk. Do you hear it? I, I, I'm not willing. I am willing. I am willing. God make me willing. Right? Positive self-talk because I need to do this. I need to grow in this. Yes? Okay. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he'd walked up to the judge and said, here I am. So it would have been impressive heroics, wouldn't it? But are we about heroics, impressive heroics, when we're trying to grow spiritually? No. So that would needlessly sacrifice himself, but along with himself, the family to whom he owed the money wasn't going to get paid, the new family wasn't going to get paid, and the new employer was going to lose an employee. That's how I lived in my addiction. That's not how I live in my new freedom. Does it make sense? So we're going we're to consult with someone that can help me sort that out. In modern time, we call them a sponsor. But somebody armed with the facts about themselves as a result of this process can help you sort through what's heroic and what's simply own, owning up to my own responsibility. Okay. All right, so we thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife, admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. So which of those things do you think was most impactful? It's a trick question. Do you think it would be a good idea to skip one of those steps? Because it all demonstrated a changed nature. I hope you can forgive me someday, but that's not why I'm here. Here's some money. Here's what I'm going to try and do in the future. I treated you wrong. You didn't deserve that. And I didn't do that to keep from going to jail. If you want me to surrender, I'll go. That's, behavior. that's changed behavior, right? So that's what any links might look like. Okay. Of course she did not. Now, I need you to understand, in the book we know, of course, she did not. But when he's walking through it, he doesn't know that part of the story. He had a little bit of stuff running down his leg. Right? Walking fearlessly doesn't mean I'm not experiencing fear. It means in spite of the fear, I'm going forward in what's right. Yes? Okay. All right, so of course she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. So what would he do? He'd go to the new family, he'd go to the new employer, he'd say, this is what i got to do, it's liable to end up me going to jail, do you support me, right? If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated we must not shrink. Now, they didn't say that it was. They said if it was. How many of you have had an experience in your life where the drastic step was indicated and you know exactly the sensory experience they're speaking of? I've got to do this or it's going to go bad. Any of you ever had that feeling? I've got to own this or it's going to go bad anyway. I'm, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to man up, and I'm going to take what it is, and I'm not going to shade it. The drastic step was indicated. Right? That's a sensory thing. See, we say we can't prove the power of God, but we can, because that's it. That's that conviction. Yes? Okay. 
This brings to mind a story about one of our friends while drinking. He accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? So this is a little workbook exercise out of what they've already taught us. There's a question mark. In light of the general principles they find guiding, what right did he have to expose all these other people to financial ruin and all the things he just described? None without their permission, right? Because that's a general principle we find guiding. So he would have to consult the spirit and find out who he needed to go talk to. Yes? What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? Let me tell you the story so you get it, because this guy of the original 100, about half were atheists or agnostics, the other half were believers. Some of the believers never went to AA, they stayed with the Oxford groups. That what was important to him was to go to church, but he hadn't been able to go to his home church for years because when this guy gave him money, he was drunk, and then he, I don't know if any of you have ever been given money, like maybe to go do a job or something. And, you know, like a little advance. And then in your possession, that money just sort of evaporated in a way you didn't care to explain. And now you can't do the job. Okay, so the guy gave him money for the church fund, the same church he attended, and he drank the money. And now he didn't want to tell the story, I drank the money. So he just said, cat didn't give it to me. And he ruined the reputation, and he defrauded the church community, and now he can't go the one place he finds comfort. Okay? So, how could he make a statement exonerating his rival? He's going to have to do it publicly. He humiliated him publicly. So now this guy, this is what any links might look like. This guy who desperately wants to go to church, his first visit is going to be in front of the congregation admitting to what he did. Some of you are internalizing that. Some of you have had a church, you had to go cop. How many of you, how many of you don't have a church family, but you've stolen the seven tradition money? <laughs> you have to stand up in front of that group and take it too, huh? Yeah, that's fun shit. Okay. <laughs> After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. Because of the language they used there, I wanted you to know the story. That meant something to him. It may mean nothing to somebody who doesn't have a deep faith, but to him, that meant, I'm not going to go stand before God because there's an instruction before I go to the altar. I need to go make it right with my brother. That's not a suggestion. That's an order. Okay. Um, so he saw he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. So what they saw was he quietly got up. How do you imagine he felt? Anything but quiet, huh? Yeah, yeah it was tough, right? So that's when you know there's a power greater than you in you. When you can do that thing that you couldn't even fathom doing. Yes? Um, says his action met widespread approval, and today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. I always call your attention to what happens as a result of our restoration through this process. The thief of the church fund became the most trusted citizen of the town through the power of God. Right? He had nothing except to go own it, and then God transformed his persona before the public. He Does it make sense? How many of you have had that experience happen to you? Come on, i got members here that you guys have been walking miracles since you got here. You got here angry and mugging everybody, and a week later you're helping the guy next to you. Come on, man, give God a praise. I guarantee you that would... Okay. All right, so the chances are we have domestic troubles. 
Did any of you ever maintain a domestic? <laughs> okay. Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if in this respect alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. So they didn't write this book gender neutral in that time, but we'll just assume, you know, whatever uh, your thing, you, you've, if you've had some sexual peccadilloes, <laughs> we got a thing, you can deal with it here. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. Where's my meth addicts? In your home and everybody else's home, too. <laughs> Motel 6, too. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. Now they're showing you what you see, right? Because they're going to take me in now. That's all I can see is worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. Any of you been married to him or her? Okay, but there's a chapter to the wife so I can look what it was like for her to have someone like me come home night after night. So how could they be anything else? And that's the next question. How could she be anything else? You may need help in the textbook to go see what it was like to have the likes of me and perhaps the likes of you showing up. Right? How many, how many of you were disappearers? It's like the whole family's assembled and you go out and take out the trash and like a week later you come back. <laughs> and you walk in the house and they're looking at you like, and you're going, what? <laughs> Some of you, apparently. So how could she be anything else? How could he be anything else? Yes? Okay. He commences to look around the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. <laughs> Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. Have any of you ever met him or her? the one who understands. Okay, so in fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? So it's not their level of understanding that's being debated here, right? This is about my freedom and righting a wrong so that I can continue to grow, because if I don't, I'll die. Right? I had people tell me a long time ago, Joe, haven't you figured out yet that you cannot coast uphill? All of life is a climb. And in recovery, I don't know that I agree that we fight, but we do continue to persevere, we do trudge, and we do go uphill continually. Because whatever battle you got, you'll overcome it, but the next one's coming. It's all preparing you for where you're going. Yeah? Okay. So a man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a girl, a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Another question mark. Got a chorus of no's. How sure are we? How sure were we that they didn't know about my little addiction thing? The answers are in you, right? I'm not, not, there is no answer. There's not a no, don't ever, or, right? So they're going to tell us. Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? No. Well, that was a hard no. Well, if, did you get the details? Tell me how, why you know that. How many of you asked for details and got details? And then got a mental image you could not shake? With the ponies and the feathers and everything. So sometimes given detail may not be helpful even though they want detail. Yeah. Okay. Undoubtedly we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. Look at the words they use. We feel. How many of you have felt you should do one thing or not do one thing and lack the power to carry that out? So they're going to talk to you about you and me and probably most of us, if we're honest. Um, we're sorry for what we've done. God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions. Whoop, there it is, Joe's Clause. Justifiable exceptions. 
Any of you ever had a justifiable exception? I'm protecting that little filly. Look, what happens when I come up with a justifiable exception is I go ahead and spill it, and now the anger is directed at the person that I was similarly dishonest with instead of appropriately with me. So now I've risked multiple relationships all about my own selfishness. So that's what I know. So if you have had a similar experience, guess what? You're going to get to come to a podium and tell that story. That's how you put it to purpose. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. So how did they find it the best course? They did, they did exactly what I'm just describing, and then they realized it would have been better if they'd have been strengthened in the spirit and then held their, held their mud, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, our design for living is not a one-way street. It's as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. I'm going to make a recommendation. I seldom do that because I know opinions aren't very valuable here. I would not tell her that if you can forget, so can she. I'd let her discover that little factoid on her own. That's often not well received. Yeah. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. Right? Okay. So perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. Who's an outsider? Anybody. It's between you and God. So you, you better know God to be tangible. You better know God to be real. Or you're not going to take it there. You just aren't. No one will. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. So those are suggestions. They work through difficulties by the two of them praying together and praying that the other one have the deliverance that they would have for themselves. Right? Okay. Um, keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face -face combat. I've had people ask me, what in the world does that mean? Let me explain it to you. Oftentimes, people just got to feel what they feel. And when we tell them they shouldn't think that way, or they shouldn't feel that way, they do not experience my advice as helpful. Have you ever been just feeling in a funk and your mind and your emotions are running amok and someone says, you shouldn't think that way? I know I shouldn't fucking think this way. I'm powerless to think any other way. So what they're suggesting is that I get empowered in the spirit to treat them with kindness and tolerance and love and let them be what they are, where they are, who they are, and whose they are, until they recognize the peace that they're trading for their animosity, and then we can have a discussion. Does that make sense? Okay. So if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. How many of you have heard that? How many of you have heard it this week? At least I'm sober. Come on, man. I don't go to the fellowship a lot, but I know it's full of people. Say, I'm sober today. I got that going for me. No, you're an asshole. Probably helps you drink. Make it better place for all of us. Is it true? How many of you got sober? How many of you got twisted off again? So if all I had to do was stay sober, and that's the one thing I've admitted I cannot do, I am truly screwed. So I either lied and won, or this better not be true. Does it make sense? Okay. So it says that certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. 
The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. You guys ever go to that meeting where they tell you, when of you pick a topic and we'll all talk about it? You ever been to one of those? Hey, pick that one. Page 82. We feel a man is unthinking thinking when he says sobriety is enough. Listen to all the opinions you hear. Not to judge, but to understand why we do this week after week, year after year. People die of addiction and never know that we have a program of recovery that's got nothing to do with our fellowship. That we've accessed a power that's tangible and relevant and got a purposeful life, a design for living that works. And we don't live like those people, but we are those people. And the difference is someone gave us the dignity of the truth. Does it make sense? So it says, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the, the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. He's like the farmer who came out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Sometimes we chuckle about that, but how many of you did that? How many of you just tore the gates off of everything and then just sat around going, well, at least I'm, I got to go to my meeting. Take care of the kids. I'll see you in a while. Almost everyone knew in recovery did that shit, right? But eventually we realized, look, man, I, I didn't get absolved of all my responsibilities. I just abandoned them all when I was in addiction. Now I got to start empowering in the spirit so that I can not only be a father and a husband and an employee, but a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Does it make sense? Okay. So we must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. How many of you can get what they're getting at there? How many of you have said you're sorry on your way out to do it again? How many of you have walked up to somebody talking to somebody else and said, sorry to interrupt, then went ahead and cut right in? So clearly... A remorseful mumbling, I'm sorry, isn't enough because it's nonsense. Everyone can see it's nonsense, yes? So it's going to take more. Um, We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it. How do I now see it? The fourth step showed me where I was selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate. Specifically, if you did the instructions, yes? How you were thinking, how you were acting, how you were feeling. Selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. Not a checkbox, me how I was thinking and acting. So I know exactly how I was inconsiderate. I never considered how they felt. Yes? Okay. All right. So now I'm going to let them know that, and let's hear it. Let's hear it from you. Sit down. Frankly, analyze the past as we now see it. You didn't deserve that. Give, Give me more. Okay. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. So that's a prayer that I don't see spurted out on cards and what have you, but I will suggest to you, if you will wake up every day and many times each day, is God, my Creator, please show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. The world will look brighter. Because the world simply reflects how you're thinking and feeling. So if you're positive self-talking yourself into being shown the way, you are the way. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so the spiritual life is not a theory. Why did they remind us of that? Because it's not an act. I'm not faking it till I make it. I am trying to get empowered in the spirit so I can be a better version of me in the present moment. I need to be kinder than I feel in the present moment. Does it make sense? We have to live it, they said. Unless one's family desires it, uh, expresses a desire to live on spiritual principles, we think we ought not urge them. How'd they learn that? They urged them. And nobody wants to hear everything about religion from somebody who has not demonstrated the most stability. That was a kind way to say that, right? 
hey, listen, we all, we all do it new. We've discovered this thing. It's the same way when we found really good stuff on the street and we didn't have enough money to buy it, but we knew where it was bought and we could, hey, come on. Let me show you where to get this shit. None of you did that just to get high? Come on. We'd get a taste if we brought the people by, right? Oh. Same thing's going to happen in the spirit. If you'll bring people by, you'll get a hit of it. Okay? All right. So we should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. So that's a promise you can claim. I don't need to preach to you. I need to live a sermon. Does that make sense? Okay. So it said, our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness will make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could. That's a little exercise that as you're going through it, the ones that you think you cannot, there's no way I can do anything about this, then clear it with you. Right? Where's the power found? Deep down inside. So... That God consciousness is within you. Run it past. If there is something to do, you'll get convicted there's something to do. You can discuss others. There's all kinds of plans. There's, there's people that pass. There's all kinds of things, but there are ways. And, and the 12th step is all about going out and serving and carrying on the tradition of, of paying the unpayable debt. Okay? Um, so some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter, and there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases. But we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, sensible tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. Guys, you're not going to do that unless you're in a spiritual place. I can't, I can't think myself into humility. Because the minute I think I'm humble, I'm So what's going to end up happening is in my thinking myself humble, I'm going to become servile and scraping. So by this stage of my development, I should be growing in God consciousness. Does that make sense? Power to love the unlovely, to tolerate the intolerable, to be kinder than I feel like being in my walk, consciously throughout the day reminding myself who I am and whose I am and asking to be shown the way of patience, kindness, tolerance, love, yes, as I go. The same way I obsessed about the dope. Just a different dependence. Okay. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. Remind yourself of that. You survived 100% of the bullshit you put yourself through. You're a champion. You're a warrior. Carry your head high. It's not an excuse but it's an explanation. You suffered from the affliction of addiction and you've been restored. So carry your head high and serve because that's what you've been prepared for. Right? Okay. So now we're going to talk about some promises. These are the ninth step promises. I call that to your attention not to be anal, but because some drunk hung them on a wall and called them the promises. And they're talking specifically about states of being that I will experience at this level of consciousness. So if I haven't done any steps, I'm probably not going to ever be in that state of consciousness. It's not an, observe, an observation. It's in my thought life, I'm raised to where I don't fear who I've been or any of those things, right? Let's go through it. If we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. So halfway through with what? And, and, the, and the eventually the whole process, right? But the, but the reality is, how many of you were amazed? How many of you could not stop no matter what? Always found another reason to go get, just, I'm in the detox, unchain me, I'm going to get twisted again. Okay, and then one day it's gone. Weren't you amazed? Okay. Okay. So, they're going to describe that amazement. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. This isn't accidentally named. This is meant to be a new freedom. Your lack of freedom had nothing to do with bars, guys. 
You got out and were still not, right? You still had chains when you got out. That's why you went back. So what we did is we talked to you and we mentored you so you could get free in there. We liberated you, or you did. You encountered the liberator, and you were liberated from the bondage of self. The same thing we asked for in three. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Now I can fly right where I am. Yes? New freedom, new happiness. Yes? Okay. And then it says, we will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. Why not? We can avert suffering for thousands of people properly armed with the facts about ourselves. Because it's not about all the crap I did. It's all the crap I've been restored from so I could come tell you the restorers here to meet you. Yes? Okay, so it says we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. Comprehend and know. See how they're talking about states of being? I'm not struggling to figure out what it means. I know. So when I know peace, guess what's not happening? I don't have conflict in my thought life. I'm not fighting my emotional states. So they're talking about states of being. See why it's so important we let people know where we are? Because this is our level of God consciousness. Not just a quote off a wall that makes a nice belt buckle. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others. How many of you have learned that? Okay. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Remember when they told us what our problem really was? Well, not really ourself, but our human condition. Can't control my emotional nature. Can't seem to be of real help to other people. Yes? And it gives me a sense of purposelessness and what's the use. And i got to escape it and I know how. Right? Okay. Um, we'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude, upon, attitude and outlook upon life will change. Why? Because the process taught me the world reflects how I'm thinking and feeling. It doesn't cause it. So when I straighten out my relationship with creator, creation straightens out all the time. Right? So when I'm disturbed in creation, check in with creator on the fly. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. So you guys that are newer, how many of you were afraid to do any public speaking? Some of you? How many of you eventually looked forward to the opportunity to get up and chair a meeting, maybe share a meeting? Wow, the scary, like, one of the scariest things you can do is confront the fear of public speaking, but fear of people has already been removed from you. You probably haven't even started your step process much. And economic insecurity, don't get it twisted. We lose our fear of economic insecurity by confronting economic insecurity. So it isn't about, I got a truck, ain't that great, my fear of economic insecurity. They're taking my truck on that freaking wrecker, and I can't get a job, and God told me to go build a center. So it ain't going to be no job, because I'm not going to ignore it. Oh, there went the other car. We better go to the food bank and get some money. And fear of economic insecurity left us because of that experience. And we stand here today fearless because we know we're moving in God's will. So it says that we will, our new attitude toward liquor has been given us. Well, what am I doing? I'm on the wrong page. Um, <laughs> Our whole attitude and outlook on life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We'll intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. How many of you had that happen? Can't, you can think of a dozen examples, right? We'll suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We, we always chant, yeah, we think not because that's what they say, but... Consider hearing this for the first time. I'm going to be free of self. I'm going to live free. I'm not going to regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. I'm, not, I'm going to walk through a puddle of shit and convince you it's roses. <laughs> Sounds a bit extravagant, doesn't it? They called it to our attention because as addicts, as people that think like that, they want us to know... I know it sounds extravagant, and I know that we haven't always been the most honest, but we swear to you, 
This is a fact, right? Right? And that's what they're telling us. They're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. So always the condition. So if you're not experiencing the promises, who are you working with? Who are you serving? It's not about going to the meeting and sharing your problem. Go to the meeting and find someone with a problem and see what kind of a solution you can provide. Right? 